Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into episode number 134 of the Hog Talk Podcast. I'm your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Kevin Bohannon. We thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe. You can find us anywhere you listen. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we are there. And while you're there, if you could please leave us a written review. Give us some star power. It helps us get our name out there and reach more people. Before we get started, I want to let you guys know that the show is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. While you may not be at the game this year, you can still take part in the action at betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And you can also get involved virtually using the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And really, <laughs> not a whole lot uh, to say about the game other than it was just AM was the better team. Uh, we'll just go ahead and we're going to break it down a little bit more than that. But more so than anything, I think that the Razorbacks played a pretty decent game when you look at the whole thing. But uh, Kevin, it was just one of those deals where Kellen Mond played. I don't know that I would necessarily say the game of his life in terms of his best stats. He did have his best career per, uh, completion percentage since he has been uh, in te- at Texas A&M. And so he completed 80% of his passes, but overall was just very sharp. And a lot of that you can, uh, you can give credit to the offensive line too. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher had two weeks to get ready for Barry Odom and it showed last night. We couldn't get any pressure up front in the telling statistic I saw last night was when they gave the graphic of the starting five offensive linemen for Texas A&M, and it showed their career number of starts. And I think the lowest one was like 18. So when you have a left tackle that's been in 32 starts, that that's an experienced line. And it showed last night, that's probably the best line we're going to see all year. Alabama may become close second, but I do feel that they had a game plan and they really executed. They showed some of the weaknesses – in the rush three drop eight. And we had some, what you would call exotic blitzes, but they picked it up. 
Jimbo Fisher they talked about during the game was really big on his combo blocks and guard tackle combo, especially if you got somebody coming off the end, Julius Coates, and then you got a stunt coming from a linebacker that they pick those up. And Kellen Mond was clean all night. I said earlier during the day that it was going to come down to the trenches. Were we going to be able to run the ball, which we did. We had some good things happen on offense, but they were able to do what they wanted to with us. And that was one of the things that we're going to have to correct. But it, it's funny because we looked at a lot of people and it was like the sky is falling. And I mean, guys, we're playing at the number eight team in the nation. And that was not the same Texas A&M team that beat Vanderbilt. What was it, 17 to 15? So let's give A&M a little bit of credit. They were a better team last night and they came out and, and played really well. I think it was really easy to get caught up, and I did to an extent that you look at the past six years, six, seven years from since 2014, five out of those six games have been within a touchdown or less. And the final deciding factor, I know three of those games went to overtime. But Travis Brown, though, had on on the Friday show, made a really good point. It was it was going to really something that he was paying attention to was really going to come down to was, okay, they're not playing at Jerry world this time. They're actually at college station and Kellen Mond has during his career has played pretty well there. Isaiah Spiller was the guy that I think we were all worried about. And he had a pretty decent game, but it was really uh Aeneas Smith or uh, I, I can't, is it Aeneas? How do you pronounce his name? Uh, Aeneas Smith that had what two or three touchdowns. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, Aeneas Smith uh, number zero and 19, but yeah, he had a phenomenal game. That kid is electric. Yeah, he was. He kept changing numbers, and uh, and Jalen Waldemeyer, which uh, definitely they they were picking on Hudson Henry using Jalen Waldemeyer and a couple of the other players. But uh, yeah, that was just I, I think really what it boiled down to was this was one of the games that we were concerned about where the talent was just going to be a little bit too much. I think that Ole Miss had some talent that that they had just been clicking completely percent they completely one hundred percent on offense. And they ran into a buzzsaw against the Razorbacks because they just weren't ready for that type of defense. And again, like you said, Jimbo, he, we can say all these things about, I've been guilty of saying that he's been a little bit overrated, especially since yep. he's been at A&M, but Hey, we got to remember the guy is one of the few national championship coaches that, that is on in college football right now. And, the guys got, I think last year they had the sixth ranked recruiting class in the country. And then before that, in his first year, they had the fourth. And so they are recruiting at a top five level. And that's one thing that I had said. I don't know that I really ever said it on the pod, but I had talked about it in conversation with a couple of people throughout the past couple of years, especially in that 2018 season. I, I had mentioned that if we're going to beat the Aggies and end the streak that we had, that's now going on. Now we're heading towards 10 years. Uh, they've yeah. won nine in a row. And, this that it was going to be the year in 2018 or 2019 that we get AM and because of the talent that they have coming in and i like what arkansas is doing there's plenty of other teams that i'm sure would really trade places with us starting with mississippi state starting with vanderbilt there's so many lsu even would trade spots <laughs> oh. with where they're at right now which we'll get into uh that here in just a second in terms of the the teams that we're going to be facing here on down the road but Overall, I mean, this was one of the – there's been plenty of times where I've been very, very okay with the moral victories, a lot of them coming from the 2013 season the first year under Bielema. But I think that this game in particular is one where I – yeah, I was sad we lost, but 
I didn't really walk away with a whole lot of things saying, well, you know, they, they came back, they, they came back, even if, if it was garbage time, they kept fighting, which that's the main thing. These guys are still at, at the record of two and three, they've still surpassed expectations. And again, I, I mean, I couldn't really ask for a whole lot more uh, compared to what we're th- to where we thought that they would be before the season started. And a lot of different things can happen in garbage time. Like you, like you mentioned, and we executed. No, still nobody on that field can cover Traylon Burks. And you talk about a lot of the positives. The fourth down play to Traylon Burks right there. And Felipe Franks checked off to that. That that was not a call. He checked off to that, saw he was in the slot, which he that's why Kendall Browse has Traylon Burks in the slot because he's a human mismatch. You, you bring a safety down, he's going to be faster. He's way faster than a linebacker. And he's more physical than any slot cornerback they can put in there. So just think about the nickelback we have, Greg Brooks, again, going against somebody that's 6'3", 230. It's going to be a mismatch. So he had another phenomenal game. I'm so glad we came out, started fast. That was Coach Pittman's goal of the week. Somebody was going to start fast. We had a 12-play, 87-yard drive, completed a six-yard touchdown pass to Burks, and Felipe Franks did a really good job. We had more yards than them. We had 461, but we had too many sacks given up. They showed Buddy Johnson. He's a really good linebacker. They did a really good job up front getting to Franks, and he held on to the ball a couple times in some key situations to where it wasn't just the fact that they got four sacks. It was at the critical critical moments. You can't put yourself in position to score, and then two plays later, you're attempting a 49-yard field goal after you just missed a 48. So we did have some really good things happen. It was good to see Rakeem Boyd finally get back to himself. I know that was a big game for him being from Texas, playing at Texas A&M. He had 100 yards on the night and a touchdown. So, yeah, we had some really good things happen. And it's like we, like you just said, this team is getting progressively better. I do feel bad for Tennessee next week because I think this is a – this out of the five games we have left, I think this is the one that we have the best shot, even though Vegas still has this a three-point dog at home. That's okay. Vegas has done a really bad job this year. So, uh, I think we're going to be all right. We, we shore up some things on defense and really get some guys in there. Uh, but we're going to be okay. And I want to touch on you. You mentioned Rakeem Boyd and and Traylon Burks. I want to start with Traylon. We really talked about how impressed we were with him in the Ole Miss game. But what's just crazy is it's almost like this guy is going to get a hundred yards and a touchdown, whether we win or lose. Every game that he has played the full game, everyone ex- Mississippi State where he went out with an injury, he's had at least a hundred yards and a touchdown. A and M in a loss, seven catches, one hundred and seventeen yards, two touchdowns. We have not seen a receiver this – when it's all said and done, I, I don't believe it's that crazy to say that he's going to be maybe the most dynamic receiver that we've ever seen on campus. The guy is just a – he's a threat to score every time he touches the ball. We haven't seen that since the Joe Adams, Greg Childs, Kobe Hamilton days. So you know that you've got a guy out there that you, that's going to win 50-50 balls. But speaking of 50-50 balls, I, I, this is probably going to be the last time that I bring it up, but – is Trey Knox kind of all but done? I'm not trying to start any rumors here. I know that a fake Trey Shap account did on Twitter, but it just seems like that there's just – it seems like a lost cause to me. Yeah, and I, I made the mention of it last night to you and, and Porter that they showed a shot of him on the sidelines, and he was just sit, sitting there. And it was like that, that shot said all you need to know about Trey Knox right now, and it looked like he was done. He did have 13 plays last night, and I hate that we're talking about number of plays that a four-star recruit that had so much hype 
but he played – he had 13 snaps last night compared to three against Ole Miss. So, I guess we're moving in the right direction. But, you know, there were rumors that he had – he was going to opt out before the season. And then last night, you know, some, some word got around that hasn't been, you know, confirmed yet. But, yeah, I, we're, we're moving on. Tyson Morris had a touchdown catch last night. He's been his backup all year and has moved ahead of him on the depth chart. So, like Sam Pittman said, we're going to play with the ones we got. And the ones that are on where they're at right now, that's where they're at, and that's who we're going to battle with. Yeah, and I want to touch back, too, on on Rakeem Boyd. It was cool to see him, like you said, get that 100 yards. Uh, but also, too, man, it was uh, it was Felipe Franks that also outrun <laughs> yeah. Spiller. Who thought that that was going to happen? I actually tweeted that out. One of the first things I tweeted out this morning was when I first woke up was, wow, you know, it's we were thinking that a Spiller was just going to be the one that we had to completely shut down to have a chance at all. Then Mon ended up being really sharp again, completing 80% of his passes for three touchdowns. But Felipe, I, I tweeted that Rakeem had more yards, and then somebody responded to me like Felipe also did. And so he ran the ball well, man. Felipe, I know that that there's plenty of things that you could say. One thing I do want to mention is like his pocket awareness – uh, whenever he is sitting there trying to find somebody has really alarmed me. We've mentioned that, but overall uh, you just can't say enough about the kid. There's plenty of, op- plenty of places to point blame at the offense, but you know what? They had over 400 yards. They actually had more total yards than A&M did. And that's what we were looking for. This was their best. I, I would put this even over the Auburn game. They played pretty consistently, at least in terms of getting the ball down the field and, and I know most of that was at the end in garbage time when they put up 14 points in the fourth quarter. But, Kevin, one big thing for me that we kept harping on, we finally didn't go three and out on the opening drive. That, that's right, and that was so good. That was the greatest thing to see all night. And in my eyes, I really wanted them to start fast because that can show how dynamic this offense can be. And you touched on Traylon Burks. One thing I forgot to mention was – the shift last night to where he took out a snap from the wildcat position on the first drive and got that first yard. That's what we missed early in the year to where they had that package in for him. That's just another piece of the offense that we haven't seen until last night. But one good thing that I saw last night was running on the edge. We care. We had 18 rushes that were outside the tackles for 144 yards. That's going to bode well for down the line. That means we can, our receivers are blocking well on the edge and our tight end or tackle can set the edge to where our guys can get outside. And, yeah, Felipe Franks would have had over 100 yards had it not been for minus 18 in sacks. But, yeah, he had 16 for 91, and, you know, he, he could have had 109. Uh, I mentioned that we can see how good a true dual threat can do in this offense. And I know Felipe's not, but he took advantage of yardage last night when he saw – the potential to get yardage, he got him. He ran for three first downs. He had a 28-yard run last night, which was the longest of the year. And I think that's going to be something that they look at in the future. Uh, A&M was ready for one of the QB call run calls last night. We motioned Burks out – or, excuse me, Boyd out of the backfield down there close to the goal line for a QB draw, and they were sitting on it. But, yeah, kudos to them. And, yeah, 400. 161 yards it's it's headed in the right direction we're starting to see a little bit more of that consistency that we were hoping to see you know going through the season and we mentioned how sharp how sharp the a&m offense was basically just out there playing catch 
when Jalen Catalan got tossed early, which was on a little bit of a bogus call to me, but you know, it is what <laughs> yeah. it is. Like, I think yeah. we're kind of used to those at this point this year, but I think that they were licking their chops at that point and they were, they understood that, okay, this middle of the field is not going to be as secure as it once was. We thought we were pretty confident they were going to pick on Hudson Clark. It was pretty obvious that he uh he definitely is better in zone than he is than he is at man i think that that's probably what most people thought from the get-go but it just was not the same without Jalen catalan being right there not only to have that fear of okay if i run a slant or if i come anywhere over the middle i'm going to get jacked up but also too they knew that it wasn't going to be as heavily patrolled as if he were to be back there and you're you're taking eleven tackles out of the game, and that's that's really big for a defense, especially on key situations like third down. That's when I knew we were in trouble. Is when they converted, I think, three third downs in a row on consecutive drives. Having Catalan on the field is where that would have made a little bit more of a difference. But yeah, we we talked about pit, playing pitch and catch. That's one thing that A and M did really well last night. There were a couple times that we laid some helmet in there laid some hat on them Joe Fouché had a really good hit on somebody but they held on to the ball so kudos to the receivers for catching the catching the football last night and Kellen Mond like we talked about he, he had a really good game they did a really good job of going to the soft spots in the zone and that's one thing that I had been waiting on Matt Corral really forced the issue but they had some really good route combinations last night that mess with the eye discipline when you play zone defense you and your defensive back or a linebacker you gotta have really good eye discipline and last night we saw what can happen when that lacks a little bit you got you got a combo route where you got one going deep and one going across if you take that man going deep and you're supposed to have that shallow zone at 10 to 15 yards where they lived last night that's going to be a problem and it was last night so uh couple things to work on, like Bumper Pool said, this team is still heading in the right direction. We're still progressing. We just got a couple things to work on. And I agree with what you had said about how Tennessee coming into Fayetteville this coming weekend is probably the most winnable game on the schedule. You've got Tennessee, then you go to Florida, LSU comes to Fayetteville, you go to Columbia, Missouri, and then Alabama comes to you to finish up the season. And we're at two wins right now. I see us definitely able to beat Tennessee – Florida, I kind of feel like is going to be like one of those games like we look at A&M. It's like, yes, they're beatable, but they do have quite a bit more athletes than us, and they do have a, a pretty solid offense. Their defense has been a little bit iffy, and I know that they looked a little bit out of sync just being off with COVID, but still, nonetheless, are 3-0. and LSU just looks like they're in shambles right now, just look lost as a goose deer in the headlights. Missouri playing really tough. But I think that that's a winnable one. And then Alabama, that's just uh, – I don't think that we really have a chance. But I, but I look at this, and I definitely see that – I, I could for sure see the Razorbacks finishing up 500, uh, beating Tennessee, LSU, and then at Missouri. Tennessee's just – we don't really know what's going on. Just so many confusing things. I've got quite a few questions about how the coach – the defensive line coach that got fired, I guess, at halftime or right after the game – uh, just had made no sense that that was clearly something that was just a disagreement maybe he said right. something he shouldn't have said I mean it's like all this stuff happens you're, you don't you can't find a quarterback but you fire your d-line coach just a little bit interesting to me there but they're just in total shambles they're like in a pretty much Arkansas situation at quarterback that they had last year yeah Jared Garantano threw two pick sixes last week I think or he threw one and then the backup quarterback came in through another, but yeah, that they're trying to find an identity right now. And 
thank goodness we have them in Fayetteville. I know that the home crowd doesn't mean much, but being on your home turf, being at home, getting to sleep in your own bed really means a lot to these guys right now. And it means a lot to every football team, but I'm glad we have them in Fayetteville. And speaking of Florida and Missouri, we don't know what's going to happen with the SEC after the brawl at halftime last night. You will probably see multiple game suspensions for the guys that were ejected and maybe even a coach or two. I know there's a lot of video out there right now, and I'm not one to really speculate because I wasn't there and didn't see it live, but everything on video shows that the SEC needs to come down. I know Florida is one of the darlings of the conference, so it's going to be really interesting to see if they come down as hard as they should. And Missouri, they're kind of like – I put them kind of in the same boat we are, the same level as far as, you know, they played really well early on. They beat LSU 45-41. I know that's not the LSU team of last year. But they do have it, they play really well in Columbia. So it's going to be really interesting to see with that one. And we touched on LSU. They're trying to find an identity. Miles Brennan, uh, he was hurt yesterday. TJ Finley did not look very good. He forced the ball a lot. Auburn played really fast and really got to the football yesterday. They forced two turnovers, which resulted in touchdowns. And then they had a trouble covering the deep ball as well, which I hope we'll be able we'll be able to establish that a little bit better as we get down the line. We Our long pass of the year is only 35 yards, even though last night we had some PI penalties on Texas A&M to where I believe we would have made a catch and run. So, yeah, going down the stretch, I'm, I'm hoping we're three and two, but we, we definitely need to win this next one to get to that. Of course, we only have five left at two wins. You got to win three of them, and one of those is most likely not going to happen in Alabama because they're just playing on – full throttle, and they look like the best team in the country right now. And Tennessee's played five quarterbacks. I believe Jarrett Guantano is uh, – or Garantano. I, I know that uh, Porter Guantanamo. butchered it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Porter butchered it a little bit more than I did a couple of weeks ago. But uh, but I, it's probably going to be him that gets the start. I know that uh, there was rumors that Jeremy Pruitt was like having random guys uh, come up to practice, just basically saying that he, he's holding the open tryouts for quarterback. But that's if that's true, um, I know that it probably is not like it was – he was joking, but that is definitely a Jeremy <laughs> Pruitt thing to do. But I, I think a couple of things that's going to be to keep an eye on there is definitely the quarterback situation. You know that they're going to try to get the run game going with Eric Gray and Ty Chandler. But as great of a defensive mind as Barry Odom is, Jeremy Pruitt is up there with – with maybe the top three to top five best in the entire country. Alabama's defense, even though they've still had plenty of good years, they have not been quite the same since he left. And I think that Nick Saban behind closed doors with nobody watching would probably agree with that. Wouldn't say that with Pete Golding too near close to him. But but the thing that I look at is even though Tennessee seems like they've got a lot of stuff going on right now, they also had a lot of stuff going on at the beginning of last year when they lost to Georgia State and BYU, and then Jeremy Pruitt rallied the troops. They won eight of their last nine games. So that's something to really be paying attention to. They've had a bye week. He's had a couple of weeks. He's had two weeks, or I guess an, an extra week off, to look at Arkansas, what they did against Ole Miss, some of the things that worked against AM. While he may not have the horses that AM does, that's going to be something to look for because it's it's been proven that Jeremy Pruitt, even when his team might be in shambles, that he can rally him. No doubt. And one of the things I'm going to be interested to see is Jim Chaney being the OC. He's, he is still the OC, right? For I, I think he is, and I have no idea yeah. how. Okay. <laughs> so and having his one of his best friends and lifelong guys that followed him around, Sam Pittman. Usually when wherever Jim Chaney went, Sam Pittman was right there, Arkansas, Tennessee, Georgia. And 
Coach Pittman's going to know tendencies really well. It's going to be kind of be the Kendall Browse Lane Kiffin thing. So I think we got a little bit of advantage there. Uh, of course, that could go the other way around too. Uh, Coach uh, Cheney could, you know, get in the ear of the DC at Tennessee and say, "Hey, this is what you can look for." But that that's not a typical Sam Pittman traditional offense that we're running right now with, with Kendall Browse. But yeah, that that's something I'm going to be out looking out for this next week as well. Is you know, how well Coach Pittman can scout Coach Cheney. And I think that if this, if our offense can continue the way that it did, uh, I, I mean, you're going to have to score more points than in gar- than what they did. And I keep saying garbage time because I know that the, the most points that they scored in a quarter was in the fourth when they were pretty much all, all but done. But I think that if they continue off that success, then that will be what really drives the dagger into the heart for Tennessee. And you walk out with your first, with your third win. And that's going to really bring back. I think that these guys are still going to be as motivated as they have been. This is going to be one of those deals where it's like, I, I feel like that they can look into, look themselves in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what we fought, but we got beat by a better team. And that's really all that it boiled down to. And, and I can live with that. I don't think that Tennessee is a better team. I think that, LSU is has better athletes, but I don't think that they're a better team. I don't think I certainly don't think they're a better coach team than what we have. But I, another question that I have is, what are do you do you think that we'll continue to see the way that Barryota's been playing with the the eight, like dropping eight or playing eight deep? Uh, do you think that he's going to go more with a traditional, not not traditional, but more of a a forced front look? I think if the personnel is there, we we saw Dorian Gerald was back last night, and we had more lineman than what we had had in the previous four games so I think if and we still have to have some linebacker play too I know we got bumper pool and Grant Morgan were back but if we're able to run a four two five, I think we will because that allows another man down in the box you, you don't have the air raid nobody's going to keep running that and that it, it's more air fade now because that thing is flat as it can be at Mississippi State right now people opting out and everything it's just a total mess and Leach said the other day, he said, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody else left too. <laughs> well, but, and, yeah. and man, yeah, I, I try not to harp on that because every time I talk about it, I know it seems like I'm trying to like, you know, flaunt my muscles and say like <laughs> I was right. It's not even about that. It's just, I try yeah. to tell people that it's just, and I, and I, I say the same things. I understand it's like a broken record, but since they dominated LSU in week one, that offense has scored 28 total points. And there are so many people. And so that's something else, too. I think that most fans, from what I've seen, of course, in Razorback Nation, the Facebook page, and on Twitter, you're going to see the haters that come out and just talk about how we're the same old hogs or whatever. You're always going to have those, no matter what, until you win every game 60 to nothing. And then they'll say, why didn't we win 75 to nothing? And it's just the same old fans all the time. And I wouldn't even really call them fans. But we, we look at what Mississippi State has, and so many people wanted Mike Leach. Just thank God you're not in that position. I mean, it was a similar situation to that last year. I don't think that you had as many guys quit. Of course, you didn't have players opting out last year because you weren't in a global pandemic. But, man, it is just a complete disaster over there. And I I understand the whole, like, when you're a head coach, you've got to have the my way or the highway type thing because you got to – you got to establish some form of leadership, but it almost just seems to me like Mike Leach is just like, well, you know, no matter what, even if my might be out out of line a little bit, I'm going to do things my way. And that's just the way that it goes. And I certainly think I I would not be shocked if some of the stuff uh, goes back to whenever he 
uh, tweeted the picture of the noose that caused a lot of rift on the team. I wouldn't be shocked if this, not necessarily if what's going on right now dates back to that, but when you think about all the things that have added up, I'm sure there's some things that we don't know about, even though everything seems to be pretty public, but really when you just get down to the nitty gritty of it, it, it is just a messy, nasty situation down there. And I don't think they're going to win another game. Yeah. And the honeymoon period did not last very long at all. And that's one thing that people always talk about when a coach comes in. Well, a lot of coaches will say, well, let, wait till I get my guys in here. Wait till I can recruit my guys. That's one thing Sam Pittman did not do. He said, you're my guys. This is who we are. We're going to be, we're going to epitomize tough, nitty gritty, sick them, that's who our team is. So there was no excuses up front. It wasn't Chad Morris coming in saying, you know, you need me. No, Sam, Sam Pittman came in and said, I need you. and I want to be here. And that's something that you don't see a lot, especially at big time college football, SEC and every power five conference coaches. They, they have a little bit of a honeymoon period and Mike Leach's did not last very long. And once people got in to see, okay, well, a lot, a lot of, character is shown when stuff hits the fan and when stuff hit the fan down there in Starkville it just went south quick so you found out a lot about the character of those guys the team the coaches all that and one thing that I was glad to see last night and we and we've seen it every week so far Auburn down 17 nothing Georgia we kept fighting even though we lost 37 to 10 last night we it could have been 56 to 17 if we would have let it go but we held on to the rope. These, these kids keep on holding on to the rope. The coaches keep coaching. The players keep playing. So going down the stretch, that's what's going to make the difference in a, a five-win team versus a team that's going to win two games. Yeah, and that was the same thing, with, with like you said, with Auburn. It's that, that game could have easily gotten away from us, and they ended both. I mean, it's just the fact. That's what we said all offseason. We just want to see improvement and act and see that they want they care to be there, that they don't want to be anywhere else. And that's what we have seen. And so we just have to be thankful for what we've got. We got to look, and I don't like to compare ourselves to other teams, but like I said, we just went through a whole thing with Tennessee and with Mississippi State and even LSU. Uh, we're in a lot better positions than uh, the many other teams in our conference. And so we'll be talking more about that on Friday's show, too. We'll cover the Tennessee game more, and then um, we'll see. Hopefully we get out of this. We're going to knock on wood uh, that we get out of everything here COVID-free. I know that that has not been such great luck for some teams that have played there, particularly Florida as of most recent. So hopefully we do get out of College Station and we come back to Fayetteville and we get some clean tests out. And we'll uh, we'll get more once we kind of see the injury report. And hopefully we got out of there. It seems like Coach Pittman had said, at least as we're recording this, that he didn't really go into a whole lot of details, but we did get out of the game pretty healthy. And so definitely look forward to another opportunity for a very, very good chance to win this weekend. And Kevin, did you have a, uh, did y'all have a pretty good Halloween? I know that uh, I definitely had a fun time going as Joe Exotinus, the itchy mullet that I wore. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the mullet was funny, but the, the Fu Manchu that you had, I was hoping to see it died that platinum blonde, but yeah, Kyle, we, we did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my daughter Tessa, it was her first Halloween. And, and my, my wife and I had always said that, you know, being 39 years old, she was our unicorn. And she, she's the most perfect thing in the world to us. No, a lot of parents say that, but we found a, a unicorn at Carter's and she was our little unicorn and head over to Facebook and check it out. And it was really cool. The grandparents came and saw us yesterday and today. So she got to do it a little bit. We didn't get out and do anything, but yeah, she enjoyed it being seven, almost eight months old. 
that's about all we can do right now. So yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I'm not really one to typically use the words like cute and adorable, but like I saw her with the <laughs> unicorn deal and, and some of the, my other friends, one of my other friends, he's got a one-year-old, so kind of close to around Tessa's age, but he was, yeah. uh, he was baby shark. And of course <laughs> always the finding Nemo ones. It's just, those are hilarious, but, uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was a little bit different Halloween than normal. Of course, I, I, this was actually the first one that I've dressed up, but as far as the Fu Man, the first one I've dressed up in about four or five years, but as far as the Fu Manchu, I tried to keep it, but uh, the, the lady would not allow it. To, so I had to, I had to make it go bye-bye. My face is clean shaven, looking like a baby for the first time. Look out now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is the first time I've been clean shaven in a little over a year. So a lot of people wouldn't even recognize me. So I'm going to probably go into the office at my fairly new job and, not they're going to think that i just am an intruder or something but but good stuff well uh guys thank you as always for for listening uh stay tuned right after these messages we're going to talk with 2022 prospect from magnolia high school darian ford and do a quick uh little more so get to know him i know that um he's really started to get on the radar he's going to be a junior he is a junior about to start his season pretty soon. We did have one question when about halfway through that we had some bad connection and wasn't able to really get a clear answer. But overall, uh, really good talk with him, getting to know him, and really look forward to watching him and many of the other great basketball prospects that we have with the upcoming basketball season. So stay with us. We will be right back with that. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 135 of the Hog Talk podcast, and joining me on the Workman's Travel Center hotline is Magnolia Panthers shooting guard Darian Ford, one of the top prospects from the state of Arkansas in the 2022 class. And Darian, really appreciate you hopping on with us today, man. Oh, thank you for having me. And want to start off asking what we've asked a lot of, especially high school athletes, with your season being cut short last year. Uh, I know you guys had won back-to-back state titles, and and but with the season being cut short, and you starting the new school year, and here you are, just a couple less than uh, than a month out, uh, really just about two to three weeks at this point from your first game. Uh, how have you been preparing for that, and what's kind of been some of the differences from what you're used to? Me and my dad have been working very hard with each other. We've been working out almost every day. And the team, we've been working um, extra hard, trying to prepare ourselves, trying to build a better bun on and off the court so we can have a great season this year. And let's talk about your AAU team for a second, the Gulf, the Gulf Coast Blue. How long have you been playing with those guys and talk about some of uh, some of the things that you've learned in the time that you've had with them? Can you say that question one more time? It broke up. 
Uh, I was saying your AAU team, the Gulf Coast Blue Chips, I know that uh, you've gotten quite a bit of national recognition by playing with them and just being able to have that kind of exposure. What are some things that you've taken from your time with them? Um, right now, I don't play with the Gulf Coast Blue Chips. I play with Team Thad right now. I haven't played with Gulf Coast since the sixth grade, but since I've been playing with Team Thad, Team South, actually, I've been working very hard and my dad's just been taking me a lot of places and the coaching staff over there is amazing. We just been making a lot of progress. And about your recruiting, I know, again, like I said, you've gotten quite a bit of national exposure. You've got offers like Kansas, Auburn, Baylor, Florida, but at Arkansas, I know that uh, coach Corey Williams has been recruiting you and, and you look at their staff with all the NBA experience, some of the guys that all of these guys that these coaches have, have tutored, uh, what's that been like for you? I know that the Razorbacks offered you about a year and a half ago. Talk about that process really from the beginning up until now. We've been having an amazing bond with Arkansas. We just got off a Zoom meeting with them, and they were, they were just telling me what I could work on and how I could prepare myself for the NBA. And so they just been giving me great advice, and their whole coaching staff has a lot of NBA experience, so that's a big plus. And talking about that, obviously, with a guy in your position, you've got a very good shot of making it to the NBA level. And you touched on their NBA experience, but you look at Coach Clay Moser, it's coach guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Coach Muss has been with a few different NBA teams as well. Corey Williams playing with Michael Jordan. Who are some players? I know that you've grown up during the LeBron era, but who are some maybe, if, if it's not LeBron, who are some of the NBA players that you model your game after? I watch a lot of Kobe Bryant. I like the way Kobe Bryant mindset is, his footwork, and how he just prepares himself every night he goes out onto the court. And building off the first question that I had had talking about uh, COVID and, and how it cut the season short last year, and you guys have definitely had an adjustment starting the fall semester. What has been some of the things that you've tra- that you've changed in terms of your training and, and all of your preparation? What are some things that you've had to kind of alter, or is there anything that you really have had to change? But my dad has been getting my – he's been working my body to get it to the top of shape that it can be. And we're just trying to be more careful, being more safer about how I work out, being smarter. And so my dad, he's just preparing me in the right way possible. I know he won't re- lead me into the wrong way. And so discuss what it was like. I know that it was clearly hot, really devastating for what you guys had to endure, you and your teammates, with being cut short, not just the school year but your season – how much did that fuel you guys going into this year? It made us want to win a championship even more because, you know, people would say that it was just unfair, like really a time. We didn't want it to be that way. We wanted to show the state that we are the best team in the state of Arkansas, and we worked very hard to get to that point. And so this year we will do the same. And there's a lot of – looking forward here just a little bit, looking at Arkansas's current roster where they have. There's a lot of young, talented guys going into the 2020-21 season. And you look at K.K. Robinson, Modus, Moses Moody, Jalen Williams, all these guys that came that came from – Devo Davis came from Arkansas to play for Coach Musselman. Does that boost the excitement if, let's just say, generally speaking, you were to indeed sign with Arkansas or does that – or just does it intrigue you is what I'm getting at – whether you're a freshman or not, you can get on the court pretty early, and they're clearly wanting to do it with homegrown guys from the state of Arkansas. Um, yes, I've been very, 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 very,
I just apparently have a great, a great season. I know Coach has some great players come as you said, but I just wish the best for them. And talking about Bud Walton Arena, the, where they play, that that's had ever since uh, they moved out of Barnhill. Of course, Barnhill, a lot of great memories for the basketball team there. But looking at Bud Walton Arena and just the the reputation that it has, not only within the SEC but around the nation. What what is it like to you when you see whether you're there or whether you're seeing a game on TV when you see it packed and it, and a dunk happens or a big block from a defensive play? What goes through your mind when you see that? Me and my whole family are excited to watch Arkansas play. Their whole crowd's like a big old family, and they try to always support them in any way possible, just like with football. And so basketball is absolutely the same way. We just love watching them, and hopefully one day we can get up there to catch a game. And one last question I have for you, Darren. Now, we just had a uh, commitment from Joseph Pinion for the class 2022, another great prospect uh, that's in your class. Now, I'm not asking you to say when you're going to commit or anything like that, but I do want to get a grasp. Are you sort of in the position right now where you're just enjoying the process, you're listening to schools and all that and worried about your upcoming season? Or do you think that that a commitment is more so looking towards the future more or the near future more than maybe your senior year? Well, like you said, I'm just enjoying the process right now. And me and my family just watching and seeing how everything is moving around. And then we'll be able to make a decision. Well, Darren, I uh, wish you nothing but the best of luck, man. Look forward to watching you again. Uh, you're a fabulous player and, and really love seeing all the talent that this state has really been producing lately. And, man, again, we wish you nothing but the best and appreciate you coming on with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me over. I had an amazing time speaking with you. God bless you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.